His grace is sufficient. Amen. Amen. And uh, we can't live the Christian life in our own strength and power. It has to be through uh, His grace. And certainly, Jamie and I have experienced His grace over the years and uh, thankful for God's leadership and direction uh, in our lives. If I could just get some water, that'd be really helpful. Thank you. And uh, so, <clears throat> just a little bit of history as Pastor had mentioned. <clears throat> I actually attended here at Harvest. And uh, when you're meeting in the, uh, the other location uh, in May and June of 1998, and uh, between graduation from University of Hartford and uh, when I departed uh, New England, uh, really pretty much for good at that point to go to Washington, D.C., where I began a career in uh, public policy and government affairs and lobbying. And uh, while I was there, I had plans of uh, being a lobbyist for a career, and uh, God had other plans as I uh, was in a church plant uh, while I was, uh, when I first got down to the D.C. area, I was in a church plant in a school cafeteria and an office building. And the uh, Lord really worked in my heart and life uh, during that, those years. And uh, eventually Jamie and I met and we ended up at uh, Crossroads Baptist Church, which sent out the, the church planner that uh, started the church plant that I was in before. And uh, with the view of finishing my training to go and start a church. And then in 2006, we left Northern Virginia and uh, went and started West Omaha Baptist Church on the west side of Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, Omaha, Nebraska is pretty much almost the dead center of the country and uh, due uh, west of here. And uh, once you get out to uh, I-80 in Ohio, the Ohio State Turnpike, and take that straight west and end up, thank you, end up in Omaha uh, about eight hours uh, later. And uh, so that's where we're located and uh, thankful for all that God has done there. We've uh, met in uh, basically two locations only in uh, my mother, uh, Dee Spring, my aunt, uh, Marge Dayfield, of course, longtime members here at Harvest. And uh, thankful for them and uh, for Craig and Ken, their husbands being here and uh, serving the Lord alongside all of you. Always a blessing to see family living for Christ and serving the Lord here. And uh, so that's uh, kind of my connection to Harvest Baptist Church and what God is doing uh, there in Omaha. But I want to continue tonight the, the Thanksgiving theme a little bit uh, this evening. And, uh, you know, Thanksgiving is uh, quickly uh, followed by uh, Christmas. And uh, at Christmas time, uh, often you may give a child uh, a gift, and, uh, and they may use the gift and entertain themselves with that gift for some period of time, maybe a couple weeks, a couple months. And, uh, and then the interest kind of wanes a little bit, and that, that gift that seemed just so very special when it was first opened up and, and, uh, and so special when you paid for it, uh, doesn't seem as special anymore. And, and you wonder what, what happened, you know, by Memorial Day, this thing is collecting dust on a shelf. And you wonder, why, why is there no mystique about this or interest in this gift uh, any longer, and you, you start to think, you know, maybe there's a, a lack of uh, gratitude for the gift because the gift is not being used. 
And oftentimes we uh, deem uh, value by determining how much something is used, how much something is participated in, how much interest something receives uh, then is used to determine whether or not uh, that thing or that uh, item in life uh, is something we're grateful for. And, uh, and as I think about Thanksgiving, I think it's impossible to separate Thanksgiving from gratitude. Uh, we are thankful for those things that we have gratitude for. Uh, gratefulness and gratitude seem to go hand in hand with Thanksgiving almost synonymously. And uh, so as we think about our, our Christian existence, as we heard in the song moments ago, as we think about the grace of God, uh, I think that we should approach uh, the Christian life, uh, the fact that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, with gratitude. And uh, we should approach it with thanksgiving. And uh, the best way to show gratitude or thanksgiving for what we have is, as I said, to use it. Uh, to use it, to give it interest, uh, to invest time in it, uh, to give it attention. Amen? And as we give our Christian life attention, then we start to grow spiritually. Amen? Uh, a Christian life, a walk with God, an existence uh, with Christ requires, necessitates our attention and our interest if we're going to receive the benefits of it. And uh, Paul, I think, gives us a challenge of striving for Christian growth in Colossians 1 tonight, if you can turn there. And I want to direct our attention to striving for Christian growth tonight and uh, showing gratitude to the Lord by paying attention to and investing in our Christian life. Invest in yourself. Amen? You know, we kind of live in a, a, a selfish culture really, a self-centered culture, but in the respect of taking ownership of your walk with God, taking responsibility uh, for the closeness that you have with Jesus Christ, that is something about you in your life that you must focus on. Amen? You know, before we focus on some of the superficial things about ourselves, our appearance, and our image, we need to focus on the eternal things pertaining to our lives and to our heart and to our existence. And uh, Paul challenges us with this uh, by stating we need to strive for Christian growth in Colossians 1. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Colossians 1 and verse 27 Colossians 1 in verse 27. And we're going to zero in really on verse 29, but I'll read a couple of verses so you can get some context here. And uh, he's writing to the church at Colossae. He's encouraging them to, to walk with God and uh, expounding on the blessings of the Christian life. And in verse 27, we pick up, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, 
striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight, and uh, we thank you for another opportunity to consider your word and to apply it to our hearts and to our lives. We're grateful today that we can be forgiven, that we can have eternal life, peace with God, and the weight of the guilt of sin lifted from us as we now walk with you. Help us, Lord, to take responsibility for our own Christian life and our own spiritual growth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, Paul had a a burden for uh, the churches that he ministered to, whether it was uh, the church at Thessalonica or Philippi, uh, Corinth, uh, Colossae. He had a burden for each of them, and, and not just the churches in the institutional sense that they grow and develop uh, collectively, but that the church members grow and develop individually. And uh, he, he was uh, very much aware of the, the existence of church life, but also the existence of one's personal life and how we walk with God individually and have a personal relationship with the Lord. And of course, God uh, gave him the inspired word of God uh, to address all of these different aspects of the Christian life. And uh, he writes to the church here at Colossae uh, that he preached Christ to. And he desires them now uh, to strive to grow spiritually. And we read there in verse 27 of how he describes the Christian life as being the riches of the glory uh, of the mystery. Just think about that. The Christian life as riches of his glory. Amen. I love the language of the King James Bible. Amen. Uh, because it is the word of God. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade in the King James for any other perversion. Amen. Uh, it is the word of God. You can trust it. And God uh, brought together the greatest minds at the greatest times of human education, learning, and intellect together uh, to create the King James Bible. And, uh, and it, it's the, the Christian life is described as having the riches of the glory of God. And he writes here of this mystery among the Gentiles. He might look at that and think, well, I guess we can't know what that is because it says it's a mystery. But it's not a mystery in the sense that God doesn't want us to understand what it is, what he's referring to. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight. But he's just referring to the fact that Gentiles, non-Jews, could have a relationship with God just like Jews could uh, for the very first time and could do so through the same mechanism that the Jews could through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, to put it succinctly, anybody can put their faith and trust in Christ and have a relationship with God. And everybody should put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have a relationship with God. And uh, so that's what he's talking about. That for the first time, uh, the Gentiles could have a relationship with God just like the Jews, which was unheard of. It was mind-blowing for the Jewish mind to think uh, that someone outside Judaism could have the same relationship with Jehovah God as they they did. And so that's what it's referring to when he writes about the mystery among the Gentiles. And Paul write about that frequently in his letters. And he talks about Christ in them, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. 
He, he writes about the ministry of the gospel, uh, of gospel work, preaching warnings. Amen? You know what? It's a red flag if you sit in a church for message after message after message after message and never ever hear a warning about anything that might be wrong. Amen? And you might, and you might think, well, uh, I, I don't know what that would be like because at Harvest Baptist Church, you know, we hear preaching of God's word. We hear warnings frequently. And you may find it or take it for granted that that just happens in every church. No, it does not. For a lot of churches, there's, there is teaching of different things, but there's hardly ever a warning because the speaker doesn't want to offend anybody, doesn't want to turn anybody off, cause them to leave or not attend ever again uh, because they're, they're, they're afraid of what a crowd might think about preaching a warning. Can I tell you, we need to have warnings if a bridge is out. Amen? We need to have warnings if a surface is hot. We need to have warnings of the danger of sin. Sin is a real threat. There needs to be warnings. And Paul preached warnings. And he taught wisdom. We need wisdom. You know, God's word contains the wisdom that we need. And where does wisdom begin? But with the fear of God, a respect for God, a respect for his word, for his person, for his attributes. We need to understand God. We need to have the wisdom that he wants us to have, the warnings that we need. We get that from his word. And so Paul preached and taught that, that we may present, he says at the end of verse 28, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now I have news for you. When it says perfect, it does not mean that we can hope for or attain perfection this side of heaven. It ain't going to happen. Amen. But that word perfect means whole or complete. In other words, God wants us to be the complete Christian that he desires us to, believe, to be this side of heaven uh, through hearing the preaching of the warning and the teaching of the wisdom of the word of God. That is something that's possible. It is possible to become the Christian that God wants you to be, not just in, in the ministries in which you serve, but rather in the person he desires you to be. Become. Jesus said to the apostles that he would make them fishers of men. He would make them somebody they were not. He would help them to become somebody uh, that they had not yet became. He would make them perfect in Christ Jesus, whole, complete, uh, to do the things and to be the person that they had not yet become, but who they could hope to become if they follow him. Amen? It's conditional upon following him. And that's where we come to tonight in the message. Jesus wants us to become the Christians that he desires us to be. And uh, Paul desires that. And he desires us to grow spiritually in a powerful way, just like he did. You know, Paul never preached things that he wasn't participating in himself. Amen? When he would give a warning, when he would give exhortation, he was just telling others and sharing with others what he, he himself was doing, he himself was experiencing. Look at verse 29. After speaking of the growth from warnings and wisdom and becoming the Christian that God wants us to be, perfect in Christ Jesus, he says, Whereunto, verse 29, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. You know, think again about these precious words of the Bible and how he describes his pursuit 
of becoming perfect in Christ Jesus or becoming the Christian God desires him to be, the mature believer God desires him to be. And, and think about that as well. Here's Paul, the apostle, being very candid about the fact that he realizes he has not yet attained that which he is seeking to attain and to be who he desires to be, but he's striving and laboring to become that. Amen? You know, you look at Paul and you think, well, he had it all sewed up. He knew everything there was about the Christian life, and uh, there wasn't anything that else that he could possibly learn, but he didn't feel that way at all. He felt like there was still room for growth. Amen? It ought to be our desire and our understanding. I have room for growth. I have room for understanding. I have room for more wisdom. And he describes his pursuit of this wisdom, this learning and understanding who he is in Christ. He describes his efforts as labors and striving. Amen? Labor. You know, think about what it means to labor. Uh, the word means to feel fatigue. Uh, by implication, to work hard, toil, be wearied. That spells effort. Amen? When you think of somebody that is laboring, they are putting forth effort. Uh, he writes about uh, pursuing the Christian life that uh, he wants and to be the Christian he desires to be as striving, a strive, to struggle, or to literally compete for a prize, or to contend with an adversary, or to endeavor to accomplish something, uh, to fight or to labor fervently. You know, you get the idea from these words. I understand Paul didn't speak in English. You know, we're looking at the, the, the translation into English from the, from the Greek. But the, the meaning of these words that he used in his language in today's English means labor or strive. And this gives us a strong indication that he was not casual in his approach to Christianity. He was not casual in his, in his uh, pursuit of spiritual development. He was not casual in how he walked with God. He didn't take it for granted that he walked with God. Uh, he did not uh, ignore his Christian life. You know, when he received that gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, he didn't put that gift on the shelf a few months later. Amen? Getting back to the original illustration tonight. He demonstrated his gratitude and his thankfulness for what he had in Christ by laboring and striving to get as much from it and to put as much into it as he possibly could. Laboring and striving to become who God wanted him to become, to be who God wanted him to be, to do what God wanted him to do. There was nothing casual about it. You also get the idea that Paul was not ready to settle for where he was spiritually at that time and then call it a day. He wasn't ready to settle with what he knew, what he understood about Christ and say, well, that's it. There's really nothing else for me to learn or understand. He was not settling. Amen? You know, <clears throat> there are seasons of the Christian life that we go through. 
And uh, it seems like we have an understanding of the way things are now in our life and who we are now in life and what we need to do now in life. But at some point, as we were preaching uh, Wednesday night, things change. Amen? You know, I was preaching uh, at West Omaha a few weeks ago about how uh, Elijah was ordained of God to go out into the wilderness where he would uh, find a brook and uh, the ravens would bring his food every day. But then it says that the famine came and the brook dried up. So God sent him to the place that now had dried up that now no longer had ravens bringing food. And God's word came to Elijah again and told him, now I want you to depart from there and I want you to get to this little village and there will be a widow woman there that will sustain thee, Elijah. God actually brought change intentionally into Elijah's life, changed the provision in his life, brought him to places that then God exterminated and dried up intentionally, and then moved him to a new location for new provision. God brings change into our lives. God can intentionally change things in our lives because of his plans for us that we may not understand. Amen? And uh, so it is with our lives. There are seasons uh, of life where things are a certain way, and then the brook dries up. And then the ravens go away. And God leads us to a different place. And there's new provision. And there's a different way of doing things. And, uh, and so it was Paul, at each stage of his life, was striving and laboring to better understand what was God doing and what did God want him to learn from each of these seasons of his life. I want you to ask yourself tonight, do we really labor and strive in our desire to help ourselves, as Paul did? Do we read and study the Bible and spend time in prayer to the point that we are fatigued and worn? Do we labor in the Word to the degree that Paul was laboring in the Word, laboring and striving to know God and to become the Christian that we need to be as he did? Do we strive as if for a prize in a race to become the parent, the spouse, uh, the ministry worker Jesus wants us to be? Uh, do we strive to become the best God-led employee or employer that we could become? Do we strive to choose the best words when speaking to our spouse or children? Seeking to edify our family members? Are we laboring and striving uh, to become the Christian that can accomplish these things to the riches of his glory? So first tonight, why strive? Why strive? I have a lengthy introduction. It's a shorter message. But why strive? Number one, the reward is great. Amen? The reward is great. You know, have you noticed what a graduate student will put themselves through to earn a Ph.D. How many years of study, long hours, late nights, and, uh, and the tens of thousands of dollars that they pay an uh, institution of higher learning to achieve that certificate, what they will go through for that. 
Have you noticed how those that excel at their profession constantly hone their technique, uh, their education, and their skill to become the best in whatever it is that they're seeking to become the best in? Acquiring the latest certification, the newest technology, all to do better what they already do so well in sports. Sports. What rigorous training people put their bodies through to accomplish some athletic feat or to improve self-image or their health at all hours of the day and night. And what is their reward? A better education, a better paycheck, a better achievement in health or athletic goal. You know, none of those things are to be condemned. Whatsoever thou doest, doest so well as to the glory of God. But how much more valuable to put that kind of striving, labor, and attention and intention into your Bible reading and prayer life and meditation on God's Word and its application to your life, your circumstances, your personality, your emotional self in, in the seat of your emotions so that you can analyze your life and to become that which is perfect in Christ Jesus. How much more valuable is that? There's a spiritual reward. Amen? There's an earthly reward. You know, we're not just talking about things that happen inside your mind, but think about this. When you find yourself praying more, spending more time with God's Word, and more time meditating on God's Word and applying it to your life, have you not noticed that your spirit is distinctly sweeter? Have you not noticed that your faith is distinctly greater? Have you not noticed that your problems seem quite a bit smaller and God seems so much bigger? And what kind of an impact does that then have on your anxiety on your choice of words, and on your choice of reaction to different things in life. And that, my friends, has a direct impact on everyone around you, at home and at work and in every other social circle. There is an earthly reward for paying attention and laboring and striving in God's Word and in prayer each day. Amen? You'll be a better spouse. You'll be easier to live with, easier to work with, a better parent, a better student, a better employee, a better ministry servant, while you'll even have real friends and real friendship as a result of investing this commitment in your own life. There are earthly rewards and there are eternal rewards. You know, striving uh, to... Be the Christian you need to be so that you can uh, do the things that God has called you to do in this place and in this life. You know, God calls us and, and has so many different roles for different people. God has a role for you to be the very best uh, employee you need to be, the employer you need to be, the, the husband, the, the wife, the parent, uh, the child, the student, the teacher, the ministry servant, whatever role it is, uh, do it, do it well, and to do the very best that you can, you must labor and strive in God's word and apply his word so that one day you'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? 
And we're not just talking about, you know, sometimes I think people get the idea that, you know, the only eternal rewards there are are just for pastors or missionaries or something. That's simply not true. Amen? Every, every person in this room here tonight will stand before God and give an account for all the deeds done in their body, as it says in 1 Corinthians. Amen? That, that is, what did you use your life for? How did you use your life? And how did you uh, pursue Christ in your life, in the role that you have in your life, in each season of your life, as things change and develop? So the opportunity is ours. Amen? The opportunity is ours. You know, unlike the athlete, the professional, and the Ph.D. candidate, the Christian life is a level playing field. Amen? It's a level playing field. Any believer, any believer can seek the face of God with strenuous effort, laboring and striving, as Paul puts it, and uh, pursuing God in the work of the Holy Spirit in their own lives and, uh, and can seek God to develop and change us if we desire it. Every believer can do this. God does not reserve spiritual growth and laboring and striving for some class of human beings or some class of believers. Every believer can do this. It is ours for the taking or ours for the leaving. Anyone that has a desire to become the Christian God wants them to may do so. Everyone uh, that came to Jesus received, in essence, the same response as you look at the Bible and examine the record of history. Amen? Think about it. Nicodemus the ruler, Joseph of Arimathea the wealthy businessman, Matthew the publican, the crooked tax collector, Peter, the fisherman, what were they all told? Follow me. They were all given the same opportunity. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will help you to become who you need to be. Regardless of where you are in society, or your role, or your season of life, you follow me, I will mold you, I will make you, I will help you to become who it is that I desire you to be. And believe me, whatever Jesus has planned for you is better than what you have planned for you. Amen? They could all do this. They all had the opportunity. We each have the opportunity. The only question is, is do we have the desire? Do we have the desire to labor and to strive to become who it is that God wants us to become? And we see... Not only the reward and the opportunity that's ours, but also the example, who is Christ? You know, did Christ strive for or labor in anything for us? Absolutely. Amen? Absolutely. In his humanity, he suffered beatings. He suffered a kangaroo court and false accusations after false accusations. He suffered humiliation, the betrayal, the denial of who he was. He suffered every hammer blow to the nails, the crown of thorns, and the mockery in agonizing death. And he was forsaken by his father for our sin. He labored and strove for us 
How could we not labor and strive for him to become who he desires us to be, which in the end benefits ourselves? Amen? So what stops us from striving? Distractions. First, distractions. Amen? You know, what stops us from really intentionally thinking about our Christian life and striving and laboring? What, what, what causes us uh, to be distracted from uh, focusing on using the gift of eternal life that we've been given and then, and then causing us to so-called set it on the shelf and uh, ignore it and ignore the opportunity to become who God wants us to become? Distracts, distractions. Sometimes Satan brings a distraction. Sometimes God allows a trial to come into our lives and it's distracting. So it's going to require some strenuous and deliberate effort. You know, do you, do you think an athlete might ever get distracted as they pursue some kind of a, of a home run record or uh, maybe a continuous game performance record? Do you think they ever get distracted? Absolutely. You know what they do in response? They labor and strive. Do you think a PhD candidate ever gets distracted from their studies to go do something else? Do you think they ever have, ever have to say no to one thing so they can focus on the main thing? Absolutely. You know what they do in response? They labor and strive. Do you think the professional that is seeking to uh, advance one's career and to pursue some kind of uh, specialized knowledge, expertise, or performance for their employer, do you think they ever get distracted by a lot of good things that they could focus on? Absolutely, but what do they do? They buckle down and they labor and strive on the things that are most important and are priority. Amen? If a Christian is going to become a fisher of men, if a Christian is going to become who it is Jesus wants them to become, you're going to have to prioritize. And you're going to have to say no to a lot of good things so you can focus on the main things. And focus on the things that God definitely, that you know, wants you to be focused on. And not just some seemingly good things, but the things you need to focus on now. Amen? That requires strenuous and deliberate effort. It requires laboring. It requires striving. You know, our focus can become dull over time. And oftentimes there needs to be some season of self-examination and self-correction, right? I remember uh, in the Boy Scouts we were on uh, the Lion's Paw, which was a 34-foot sailboat off the uh, Florida Keys. And we were sailing along the Keys and and uh, we would take turns taking the helm, and the captain would give a, a heading uh, for the compass reading, and he'd say, you know, 34 degrees to the north, and so he put it at 34 degrees to the north. What would happen if over the course of time we started to drift to maybe 36 and a half degrees uh, to the north? Then we'd have to correct, right? Stop, look, look at the compass, we're going the wrong way. Well, let's just turn the wheel a little bit, get back on the right heading, and, uh, and get back on track. Paul put it this way. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He says, I'm not running. I'm not doing these things uncertainly. I, it's not like I'm just beating the air. I am intentionally self-correcting. I am intentionally examining my life. I am intentionally laboring and striving 
to be who God wants me to be. Distractions can come into life. There needs to be a period of self-correction. Or there could be a lack of desire. There could be a lack of desire that stops us from striving and laboring to be who God wants us to be. Lust and, uh, can pull our desires away from laboring uh, to be who God wants us to be. Uh, there could be things that cause lack of desire. It could be uh, despair. You know, all hope is lost. And so I'm just going to hang up the Christian hat. And I'm not going to walk with God anymore. Lack of desire, distractions, or time. Time. Over the course of time, Christians can lose their focus. You know, God tells us, though, to remain diligent. Not just for a week, a day, or a month, but for years and decades. Amen? Years and decades. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1.5, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Giving diligence. Diligence uh, means to uh, stay at it. Amen? Uh, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Again, that word diligent to describe the Christian life. Diligent, staying at it. Paul strove for Christian growth and maturity with intense effort. There's nothing casual about it. You know, no one ever grew spiritually by accident. Have you noticed that? You know, sometimes people will just kind of fall into a career and then they, they do that job. They find they like it. Oh, yeah, this is good. And then they kind of stay with it on and on for the years and the decades. That will never happen with spiritual growth and development in Christianity. Amen? It's not going to happen by accident. You're not going to just fall into it. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of resistance. The flesh and the devil and the culture of the world will resist you in growing and developing and being who God wants you to be. You're going to have to continue to labor and strive at it. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to take effort. It's not going to happen by osmosis either. Amen. You're just holding that Bible in your hand, holding that hymnal in your hand at church. The words and the power is not going to somehow seep into your bloodstream, and that's going to make you stronger as a Christian. Amen? It's not going to happen by osmosis. It's going to happen by effort, labor, time in the Word, time in prayer, time in thought, meditation. Amen? Labor. To feel fatigue by implication, to work hard, to toil, to be wearied, strive, to struggle literally, or to fight, to labor fervently, to contend with an adversary, to endeavor to accomplish something. Do those words describe your effort to grow spiritually and be the best Christian and have the best relationship with God and others that you can have? You know, oftentimes in the Christian life, you, you hit a season where you feel wearied, you feel tired, you feel defeated, and you, and, and you think that you are defeated. You know, it may just be that you've been laboring and striving, and you're kind of tired and worn out from actually doing the right thing. Amen? The Christ, see, the thing is, with the Christian life, you can't see it. You know, if we're out at a wood pile and we're laboring and striving to split wood and we've got two cord of wood to show for our effort, we can see why we're so deadbeat tired. Amen? 
But you can't see that in the Christian life. And so you, you are striving to have greater faith through a difficult time. And you are striving to walk with God and see what God's doing through difficult times. And, and after the season of life, and it's been months, it's been some years, and, and you're still dealing with certain things. And, uh, and, you, and you know you've been striving and laboring, and now you feel tired and worn out. You start to think, well, maybe I'm defeated. Well, maybe not. Maybe actually you're winning. You're just laboring and striving. Amen? And so you're tired from doing the right thing. So sometimes you just got to remind yourself, you know what? I'm not losing. I'm actually winning. Because I'm still doing what I started out to do. I'm still doing what I began with. I'm still growing and learning and understanding God. And while I may see some others, you know, they kind of pull alongside for a little while and then they're gone. They vanish. It's amazing how people vanish. But you're still going, amen? And you're still putting forth effort. And no, it's not easy, and, and, and certainly it's difficult, and it brings challenges, but you're still doing it, amen? You're winning. You're laboring. You're striving. You're making progress. Don't let the devil get you confused and think that's defeat. By all means, it is not, amen? Striving and laboring in the Christian life, to be who God wants you to be. Don't take that gift of eternal life from God and uh, just kind of play with it a little bit for a little while and then set it on the shelf and let it collect dust. Show your gratitude and thanksgiving to God by laboring and striving to be who he wants you to be, to do what he wants you to do, not just for days and weeks, but for years and decades. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight, and uh, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We're uh, grateful tonight for uh, your provision and your word and uh, how you work in us, lead us, direct us, Lord. And uh, we're thankful for Jesus who labored and strove for us uh, there in the Garden of Gethsemane and on up to uh, Golgotha, carrying a cross and uh, contending for us with the Roman nails and the crown of thorns. And uh, it wasn't easy. It was hard. It appeared he was defeated, but rather he was victorious. And so shall we, if we labor and strive to grow and to develop and to be who you desire us to be. Help us in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.